love the message of that song because it reminds me that um, Jesus isn't a, a drug that I take in a moment of crisis. He's a life and a lifestyle. And it requires me to continually be building, continually be renovating, continually be participating. Um, Christianity is a full contact sport that requires our participation, that we're constantly getting into the game and, and renovating and just allowing God to work. How many of you here this morning, you just be like, oh God, give me that help that I need to renovate that area of my life. Change me. I wonder if we could stand across this room this morning. I'd like to pray for us that God would help you in whatever it is that you've cried out to him for your help. Some of you might be like, God, I don't know how to be a mom. Lord, I don't know how life is going to move forward after this divorce. Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to get free from this addiction. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to break through to my kids. You know what? God knows. And here's the beautiful thing of building your life with Christ. He was a carpenter and he knows what he's doing. And he's in this with you. So Lord, we just thank you. You are the carpenter of souls. And so we just ask, would you renovate us this morning? We just want to say that we love you and we admit that we need you. And so we just look to you this morning. I pray for every burden across this room that people have been carrying, saying, I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I even have what it takes. I don't know where it's going to come from or how it's going to change. But Lord, you know how to. Would you just become the builder of our life and renovate our souls? We just open up our lives to you. We just say, Lord, come in and renovate. Change us, Lord. We don't want to run to you in a crisis moment so that you relieve pain. Lord, we want you to build our life into something bright and beautiful that people would look and say, that's what happens when somebody sticks with Jesus. So we give you our life, Lord. We are your workmanship created for good works in Christ. Build away. Build away, Father. We trust you for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. I was driving through and I came across that wonderful, awesome store called Ocean State Job Lot. And I just couldn't resist. They had these giant erasers and it literally says, for big mistakes. So this is my new uh, reminder. I have usually a trinket in my office that I always keep to remind me of some kind of life metaphor that I need help learning again and again and so my new one now is is that I'm just reminding myself that no matter how big the mistake is Jesus is big enough to handle it amen and uh, when you don't admit that you are making mistakes and you try to hide them that's called pride so I just I'm just kind of like Lord just just kill my pride help me help me to just trust you and know that I don't have to be perfect I just have to be yours praise God hey I have a wonderful couple of guests that are here with us this morning uh Jacob and Danielle Lockhart, and, and Jacob's mom is here, but maybe if the two of you would stand, I'm going to profile you guys. And you may not know it, but Danielle is actually on staff here. She's in New Jersey. She's a mom, and her family's down there, and she has been uh, working with us in distance. And I just want to say just how proud I am to know the two of you, how glad I am to have you here. And it's just pure revenge of why I'm profiling and embarrassing you right now. So... Uh, but thank you so much. Could you just thank her and just thank them for all they do? You, you probably have received a message from her. Her voice is on the voicemail. When I first stepped into this position, I picked up the phone and called Danielle because, uh, believe it or not, when I was at North Point, you get what's called a TA, a teacher's assistant. And I started with her sister, Jessica, and had her for four years. And the thing that's amazing about both of these sisters is, is that they are amazing at being perfectionists without the stress of it. But what's more important is, is they actually make you look good. And instead of making you feel bad about your mistakes, they make you look good by fixing them. Everybody needs an assistant like that, right? So after four years of having her sister Jessica, she was getting ready to leave and she looked at me and she said, I just want to tell you something. My little sister's coming to the school next year and she's exactly like me and so instantly I just I, I went and they wouldn't allow you to have freshmen as teacher assistants and I I begged for an exception and for four years she tolerated me and fixed my mistakes and made me look great and when we first came here I picked up the phone I said what do I have to pay you to come here and she said can't I'm new mom I'm near my family sorry and so we celebrate like she's with family can I just tell you something nothing like having babies and being near family it's just nothing like it but uh, uh somehow I weaseled to get her as a distant assistant and so we're just grateful for her and so if you hear this voice on the other end of the line at any point and you're like who in the world is this just be like 
Danielle? And she'll be like, yeah. So, so grateful to have you here. Appreciate you very much, both of you. And Jacob has uh, done music and has worked with youth and uh, is just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal man of God. And uh, behind every great woman is a great man. Just want you to know that. Hey, not to sound like an infomercial, but uh, we, as we've mentioned, you've seen in the foyer, there are little business cards. We are taking a trip to Israel as a church next March 2020 and from the 15th to the 26th. And the reason I keep mentioning this is because this trip, although I am the head host and guide of this trip, uh, we are not the only church on this. And so there are several large churches uh, that are going to do it. And we only have 48 spaces. And so I've gotten the jump, and I know it sounds like, why are you like constantly pounding this? Is because nobody's seat is secure until they have a filled out application and the $500 deposit. And I would just encourage you to say, by saying this, is that if you really want to go for this, just, you know, obviously there isn't a single person in this church that this pastor would ever approve and say, I'm going to put it on my credit card and just believe God. That's that's not God. That's, it's just not the right time and it's not the right place in your life and, and to know that. But if all of us, I think, would be like, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. I'd have to work more. I'd have to do less Dunkin' Donuts. I know that's difficult, but um, I encourage you to get that application in right away because I asked the other churches to hold off before we uh, allow them to sign up because I know once they sign up, the seats are going to get eaten alive. So just uh, make it happen. Do, do it, take the plunge, go for it, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be having a great time in the Holy Land. Speaking of a great time together, uh, we had a great time in the Holy Land here in Tewksbury yesterday as we did serve our city. And uh, we just want to thank every single one of you that were able to make it out yesterday and do this. Can I just tell you something? The town of Tewksbury was absolutely blown away by the participation of this church and our t-shirts just totally, they're like, you guys made t-shirts, that's awesome, and blah, blah, blah. And if you didn't serve and you want to buy one of those shirts, you're welcome to do it because we don't want to eat the difference. But, but we encourage you to, they're like five bucks. But here's the thing, uh, they, we were the largest participating group out of anyone in the town. And we were about 20 to 30 strong. And wouldn't it be something if next year we're 120 strong in this town? The, the, the church, people drive by our church all the time and they ask, well, what's the difference? What are they there for? And so we know that sometimes the, before we can really show them why Jesus came for them and why we're here as a church, sometimes it just begins with serving. And Jesus said it, the greatest of them is the servant. And so we're just so grateful for all of that. And that's not a cat. That is actually Derek Rao and his Martin Luther beard. Yes, and so many of you were participating in moments noticed, and we just picked, I am convinced that nobody has picked up trash on the street in over 20 years, and, uh, and listen, my wife found a dollar, so you join in this event, you could find money, yeah, and uh, so it's just so grateful, both of my entire family was here, I want you to know I'm not just a pastor that's always going to say you need to do this and you need to do that, but I'm going to be doing it with you, and uh, so greatly appreciate all of you for that, Amen. All right, turn to your neighbor and slap him and say, wake up. <laughs> I want to share with you a truth today, but before I share that truth, I'd like to share with you the story of a person's life that really frames, for us, probably what our life is like. Maybe the circumstances and the names and the situations are different. But uh, the life of an individual that was in a very despairing situation and how God stepped in and stepped through that situation with those people and helped them step out the other side of it. So take a look at the screen here real quick as we show this video. I'm number 10 of 11 kids, so from a big family. Had a extremely uh, faithful, godly mom. She loved Jesus and was always teaching us about Christ. Had an extremely violent father, uh, not a believer, abusive. I saw my dad one time come after me with a hammer. There was also other members of the family who sexually abused me. So at a very young age, I was quite confused on my mom telling me how good God was, but 
all these other things going on in my life, it was difficult. She always would just say little things like, God is faithful, God will work it out. My two heroes were my, uh, my two middle brothers, George and Doug. I mean, they weren't the best people, but I just loved them. I thought the world of them. George uh, got into really serious heroin addiction. As I got a little older, he got really bad. And I remember one night I was sleeping on the couch uh, and the knock on the door. And I was the one to answer. Uh, the cops said, uh, son, where's your mom? And I don't know why, but instantly I knew there was something wrong with my brother. And finally, my mom came downstairs and I remember very distinctly hearing him say, your son was murdered tonight. I was angry. I was angry at God. But my mom just said, you know, God's gonna work it out. But I didn't know how, he just took one of my heroes. My sister Vicky, by this time, had become a heroin addict. And I was embarrassed, you know, Friday nights, I would see my own sister on the street selling herself for drugs. And all of that led to, honestly, to a dichotomy in me. There was an immense desire to love God, and there was an immense desire not to trust Him. So I became very depressed, and extremely depressed. So I was gonna go back home, and I was gonna take my life. I remember it was Wednesday morning when I wrote the note, and I said, God, I give you one more chance. I said, the only reason I haven't taken my life right now because it will kill my mom. And I said, God, please show me that you're real. Show me that you care. Because right now, I can't see it. That night, God really spoke. And that night, I made a commitment that I was going to follow him no matter what. No matter how hard it got, I said, God, I'll do anything. Forgive me. Through my life, through the difficulties, the struggles, the pain, God has really shown himself faithful the whole way. And I was a messed up guy who was selfish. I was heading the same place my dad and my brothers and my rest of my family was going. And God says, Donna, no, I have a better plan for you. And even though Satan had it to destroy me, God had better plans. I love how he worded that. Even though Satan set out to destroy me, God had bigger plans. That's a really important statement to grab onto because I think sometimes when we go through difficult moments in our life, we get lost in the moment and miss the bigger picture. That, yeah, there is a devil that wants to destroy our life, and sometimes we aid him in that process, or at least I have. Maybe, maybe you have too, but, but God is weaving together a more beautiful and broader picture than just a moment of difficulty and despair. And that's really what I want to help us look at this morning here, is to look at what I would call a mosaic of despair. Mosaic of despair. Father, help me to share what you want to share. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Now, some may be like, what in the world's a mosaic? Most of you might know this, maybe you don't. But um, a mosaic is an ancient flooring. And what they would do is, is they would take all these tiny little chunks of different colored stones and they would arrange them in such a way that it would be a floor that you could walk on that was a, a collage and a crescendo of color that projected an image, whatever it was that they were trying to convey with that. In fact, um, for those of you that take the plunge and go to Israel, we'll probably swing by one spot and look at one of them that's in the Holy Land, they call it the Mona Lisa of Israel. And this picture doesn't even do it justice because it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm not one of those people that goes to the art museum and is like, wow, that looks really good. You see the color, the way that it's kind of going. Do you, how many of you know somebody like that? It's like, no, that's not a good day for me. But like, um, but a uh, cool quote by Pablo Picasso, but I'm not looking at his art more than like 30 seconds. It'd be like, cool, awesome, peace. Um, Netflix, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. So... But, but the, this is amazing, and what's amazing about it is that, you know, there's no computers, there's no, um, you know, all, instruments like we have today, and they would do these floors, and some of them would take a year, two years, and they were just absolutely incredible. And I have in my hand here, actually, one of, uh, a mosaic stone that I <clears throat> borrowed from the Holy Land, 
And uh, what's amazing about it is that this was on the floor of the palace of King Herod the Great. Which means I'm carrying around a chunk of stone that Herod the Great, his son, who mocked Jesus, possibly walked on. Herod the Great walked on. Roman senators, possibly even the Roman emperor, slapped his foot on this tiny chunk of mosaic. And I'm not giving it back. Um, But a mosaic will be this collage of, of color to bring about a picture. And I'd like to say to you today that your life is a mosaic of the master. And sometimes what happens for me, and if it happens for me, it's got to happen for you. I get lost in that one piece and that one moment. And I despair and lose heart because there's a difficult chiseling that's taking place instead of stepping back and allowing God to have time to develop the bigger picture. Yes, Satan is looking to destroy your life. In fact, what's amazing about mosaics are that they are really a collage of colorful small rocks that have been pounded and grounded up and have been devastated, but somehow they take all of that brokenness and put together a masterpiece. And I believe that that's a a metaphor for our life is is that you and I are a mosaic of the master. And we are a compilation of clusters of stone that are broken, chiseled, busted. And yet God comes along in the beautiful way that he does. Not that he's the one that does the busting. Not that he's the one that does the rusting. But he's the the one that the artist that's like, you know what? I'm going to make that piece work right there. And I'm going to take that piece and make it work right there. And the Bible says that he works all things together for what? For good. Now, it doesn't mean that he is the author of everything that's bad, but he has a way of working everything for good. But if you're anything like me, it's easy to get lost in the despairing and discouraging hour. And so what I'd like to share with you this morning is just a glimpse at a couple of people, not all of these. I usually will pick a couple of them here that are different this morning that went through some very difficult and dark hours. And the lessons that I believe God has left in scripture for you and I to grab onto, not only in our difficult hour, but prior to going into it. How many of you have found that like, like difficulty is like recycling, right? It comes back. How many of you wonder like when you're using something recycled, have you ever thought like, that's totally my old cup? That's a, we don't think that way, right? We don't think that way, but yet, Difficulties sometimes recycle, they come back, challenges face us, evil assails against us. Just like that man said, the devil sought sometimes to even break and destroy us, but God is constantly at work in your life to work all things together for you. Because he wants you to be a mosaic of the master that has a picture that shows everyone that walks on it and looks on it, this is what a life looks like when somebody continues to stay with God in the difficult seasons. And Elijah is one of those individuals. I, I love when I, this is one of the great stories that I love telling when we're in the Holy Land, but the story of Elijah is so complicated. And one of the great moments I had this past year, I had a, I was taking all of the, the pastors, the leaders, the leaders of the leaders, they asked me, would you take us to the Holy Land? So last year in January, I took the group of these people, my wife, they, they were generous enough, they paid for both of us. And we were like, sure, we'll go. And I got the privilege and honor of walking them through. And one of the places that we went to with one of these groups is the wilderness of Beersheba, it's, or Beersheba, we pronounce it. And what's amazing about this place, this is the place where God spoke to Abraham and said, as many as the stars are in the sky and the seas in the shore, so will your offspring be. It's the place where God said to one man, I'm going to make you a great nation. And today, that nation is in existence by the grace of God. It needs Jesus really bad, but it's in existence by the grace of God. Later on in the story, a man by the name of Elijah is going to find himself here in a very dark and disparaging hour in his life. In fact, in the story of 1 Kings chapter uh, 18, 19, we have a high moment, which really 
brings us to the moment I want to talk about. In fact, the Bible says that Elijah went to Mount Carmel. On top of this mountain, the people, they were asking God to give his blessing, but they were not living their life in a way that God could bless it. Can I just tell you, Jesus is no lucky rabbit's foot, and he is not a lottery ticket. He is a, he is a relationship and a life, and if you walk around and you ask God to bless what you do, but you do not do the things that God blesses, you're fooling yourself. It doesn't work that way. But if you will yield your life to him and say, your Lord, I'm not, your master, I'm not, you, you, you tell me, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, you tell me how to live my life, how to walk my life out, and he's, did it, he's done it, he's given it, it's called the Bible, the word of God, and he has instruction for us on how to live in relationship with him, and if we will do the things that God blesses, he will bless the things that we do, but in the time of Israel, just like in our day, there are many people that are like, not, they're asking God to bless what they do, and God's looking at that and saying, I can't bless that. I can't bless that. And so what would happen in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, God said that if you do not do these things, if you will not walk in covenant relationship with me as if you are my people, if you are my people, you'll walk like this, you'll live like this, you'll talk like that. And then I will open up the windows of heaven, I'll pour out rain upon you, I'll bless you, I'll, I'll bless all kinds of things, and, he, and there's no time for that. God says, I will bless you as you bless me with a life I can bless. But he also said this, if you do not do these things, I will shut the heavens closed. I will withhold the rain. I will, now why is that, why is that something we should take note of? It's very important for us to notice this because first of all, not everybody who says they're a Christian are, okay? Jesus said, you will know them by their what? Fruit, right? So if you're sitting there and you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, right? But then you are living like fruit loops. <laughs> Come on. Your artificial preservatives ain't the real deal here. And anyone can change that in a moment's notice if, if they give themselves to Christ and allow him to work on our behavior. And it's a journey. But the people of Israel were not doing what God could bless. And so what does he do? He did what he promised he would do. He shut the heavens. Now, here's the important thing to understand. In the ancient world, there is no market basket. There is no shawl. There's no super Walmart. You can't even get groceries in any of these places. You sow, you water, you reap, you eat. And if there is no rain, there is no food, it means you die. So they are very, very much dependent on God. And so the people of Israel are living their life recklessly, and God says, I need to get your attention. And so he shuts the heaven. How many of you have ever had God shut the heavens, so to say, on you to get your attention? Because you know you're not being who you need to be and doing what you need to do. So he says, bet, you can sound like a Christian all you want, but I'm going to totally shut, shut off the waterworks to get your attention. And then you're like, hey, man, why isn't everything going on? And so Elijah says, I'll tell you why it's not going on. It's not going on because you're, not, you're asking God to bless what you do and not doing what he can bless. So no rain is going to fall for seven years, except by my command, my prayer. Seven years, not a drop. Why is that important? Well, because right here where he picks to have a showdown with these Baal priests, he says, bring your 400 best men, and it's me against all 400. You guys can pray all day to your God, and then I'll pray, and we'll see the God that answers by fire, by lightning is the word that's used there. The one that answers by fire will say he's the God here. How about that? And so he's, they're, they're, they're years into, into a drought here. Now they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, asking Baal to bless them. And what's amazing is, is that where Mount Carmel is, in back of them is the ocean, and in front of them is the greatest uh, grain factory of the entire land of Israel. You've got this, the ocean in back, which brings the storms, and you've got the, the, the farmland of Israel, and he's standing up on the mountain with these guys, and he says, I'll give you home court advantage. Your God's the God of the storm. Call him. Let's see what he can do. And so Elijah, he, he they, watches them, and they try praying to Baal, and they're, they're like, help us. They even, the Bible says they start cutting themselves, and they're, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and this is going on for the entire day. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life where you watch somebody that's doing a bunch of stupid for a long period of time and you're like, this is not going to work, right? You're like, baby, I love you, but you need to leave that man because it is never going to work, right? They're just trying to make their life be blessed and nothing's happening. Elijah walks up. He is such an animal. It's so, uh, in, a, in a good way, he's a beast. He, he comes in and he says, he says in the original language in the Hebrew, where's your God? Is he on vacation? 
Is he using the restroom? That's literally how it reads in the original language. He's taunting them. He's taunting them, which gives me comfort that being as sarcastic as I am, it's biblical. So <laughs> I have the spirit of Elijah. And he's totally torturing these guys. And finally he walks up. And as a man of God, he, he says, Lord, let these people know that you are God and, and I'm your prophet in Israel. And he prays a simple prayer. He already had them dump seven barrels of water to tip the scale in his disadvantage. Lightning falls. All of a sudden, everybody gets religious. The Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. Elijah, you're the man. You know, Yahweh, he's God. Everybody just, and then he has the 400 Baal prophets brought down, put to death. And then all of a sudden, the king's wife, who was the number one propagator of this nonsense in the relationship with her husband and in his country, is, happens to be a priestess of this god Baal. And she says this to Elijah. She says, you're going to be dead by this time tomorrow when I get a hold of you. And so what does that guy do when every man is threatened by a woman? Bye. Can I just say, ladies, that as tough as we try to make ourselves look, you are scary, some of you. I just look at some of you and I'm like, I, remind me not to make, my, make you mad at me because I just, my goodness. And he takes off and he runs to this place. And this is, and it's really far from where he is. I mean, it's like jogging to Jersey. It's how far. How many of you have ever been in a threatening situation and instead of facing it, you just run as far away from it as you can? And he gets all the way down in the bottom of the country, and here he is in the middle of this wilderness. The Bible says he falls to the ground. He says, oh God, just kill me. Take my life. He collapses from depression and falls into a deep sleep. I'll never forget several years ago, I was uh, with a group and we were leading a group of people in the land of Israel. Some, how many of you have ever heard of Mark Batterson? Yeah, so we had his whole church group. He's like a very prolific, large leader in uh, Christianity. They're crushing it in the Washington, D.C. area. So we had their group on there. This was an awesome trip. Everything was going great, but there was great tension between myself and the director of this program. How many of you have ever been in a situation where no matter how much you try to explain something, the other person always misunderstands what you're saying? How many of you have ever seen somebody with the ninth gift of the Holy Spirit? There is no ninth gift, by the way, if you haven't caught that. The discerning of intentions. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you're like, that's not what I meant? And they're like, I know exactly what you meant. <laughs> Some of you have that ninth gift of the Holy Spirit, discerning of intentions. No matter what I tried to do or explain, I was misunderstood. I was misinterpreted. I was, there was just no way. And here I am, I'm in this valley where Elijah was, and I'm feeling just like him. And the whole time, I'm just walking through the valley, and people are like, yeah, I'm hanging out with Mark Patterson. I'm in the Holy Land. And the whole time, I, my soul is weeping, and I'm like, oh, God, stay my feet in this valley. Oh, God, I can't see a way out of this moment. Help me. I wouldn't promote the book, but Dante in his book Inferno writes a very interesting quote. He said this, he said, in the winter of my life, I wandered deep into the middle of a thick woods and realized that I lost my way. And there I was. It wasn't a woods, it was wilderness. And my soul was so lost. I love what a quote my wife made. I actually am quoting my wife because if I try to push it off as my quote, she can prove me a plagiarism here so I remember one time you actually said this to me in in the middle of the situation she said you know we personalize difficulty and we ask the wrong question we ask ourselves you know God why are you allowing this to happen to me that's not the right question what we should be asking is as as overcomers and as children of God we should be asking Lord who is this experience I'm going through designed to help in the future because God doesn't bring us into difficulty and leave us there. He brings us through difficulty. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You might walk through want, but you're not going to be there forever. God is going to bring you through and take you through. And I believe here this morning that some of you might find yourself physically here, but your heart is right in the middle of that wilderness like mine was. Can I tell you something? God's not going to leave you there. 
He's going to help you. And I found in this time, God really spoke to me through the life of Elijah a couple of really practical things that I was noticing in my life. And maybe you notice this in yours when you find yourself in a disparaging hour. Fear strikes you. The Bible says he was afraid. And that fight or flight, he got up and he fled. He fled all the way to Jersey, like exit 23, I think it was. And depression and death is very real when despair is there. You know what the word despair really means? No hope. Sometimes we go into our difficult disparaging hour and all we can see is that one little piece to the mosaic that God is building and we lose sight of the fact that there's a bigger picture and we say there's no hope. It's never going to change. It'll never be different. This is, this is over. This is the end. It's never the end with God. But he said, he asked God, he said, oh, I just want to die. And then depression hits him and he just lays down under a broom tree and falls asleep. And I remember myself sitting under a broom tree in that situation, weeping and keeping my sorrow to myself. But what, is God, what do we do in those difficult hours? I really believe that in our hour of despair, in the picture and the mosaic that God's making for our life, we get a lesson, a couple of lessons out of the life of Elijah. And it's this, first of all, when you find yourself in a difficult season, do the basics. Look at what God does. He, he falls asleep and then the Bible says that an angel showed up, put water and bread next to him and said, Elijah, get up and eat. And the Bible says he fell back to sleep again. And then he said, he got up and he said, eat again, drink and eat again. And it happened a couple of times. And then finally, there was another long journey that he had before him. And so the angel says to him, he says, you know what? You need to eat and drink again because the journey is too far for you. You know, some of us were really determined individuals. <coughs> and we just think when difficulty strikes that we just need to keep plowing through and plowing through and plowing through. And then as we're plowing through, we, we, we fall over and we, we implode. Nobody has the strength it takes to just do it. And you know what? I can't will my way out of difficult situations. What do you do when you face a difficult situation? You do the basics. Get up. Eat. Sleep. It's okay. You know, I know everybody's like, hey, get out of bed, you know. Now listen, don't eat too much. You don't want to like go in the opposite direction with that. But every one of us in this room, we do one of two things, don't we? Some of us in this room, we stop eating. And others of us have an unnatural attraction to Cherry Garcia ice cream in difficult hours, right? I understand that attraction. Mine is Little Debbie. She's a wonderful sweetheart. Uh, Little Debbie Cakes, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But some of us stop eating. Some of us try to comfort ourselves with eating, and I'm not talking about eating and those kind of things, but just, but the basics are like, hey, you don't have to solve the problem, you just need to do the basics. Get up, eat, drink, move forward, and know that the sun's going to rise tomorrow, and it's going to be okay. Why? Because this is just a small piece of a bigger picture that God's working in your life, and it's going to be okay. I really feel like I need to say this to somebody in this room right now, it is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You don't need to solve the problem today. Sleep. Eat a little bread. Drink a little water. Have a Coke and a smile. Some problems are not meant to be solved in a moment. And it's okay. It's okay. I really feel like if you're going to really have that picture on the floor to walk on and build your life as a firm foundation and God is going to make that Mona Lisa of the master right there under your feet and show the world what it looks like from a person who continues to walk with God faults and all you can't get lost and forget and think that you can solve the problem in a moment you need to do the basics it's okay to be depressed it's okay to be sleeping for a while, sometimes it's necessary. Why? Because the Bible says that he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights and he came to the, to the mountain of Horeb. You know what Mount Horeb was? It's Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. And what's amazing about this, Elijah's highest moment on top of the mountain of Carmel, his lowest moment in the wilderness of Beersheba, his high moment on top of Mount Horeb where God reveals himself to him, 
he goes out and he has one last magnificent moment where the greatest work that Elijah ever did in his entire life came on the other side of this experience. He anoints his, his uh, successor, Elijah. He anoints the next king of his enemies in the north and he anoints the next king of Israel. All three of those happen moments after he returns and comes back. God says, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm sending you. And sometimes we get lost in that tiny piece and we lose sight that there's a bigger picture. And what seems to be the end of a moment is actually God laying the floor and foundation for the greatest moment of your life. So don't give up. Don't quit. God's making a mosaic of a masterpiece of what it looks like for the picture of a person who trusts God in despairing and difficult hours. So don't give up. It may feel like a mosaic of despair, but it's a masterpiece and a crescendo of color that God is painting under your feet to show the world what a Christian looks like who really sticks with Jesus' faults and all. Amen? I not only think of Elijah, but I also think of Job. Yes, good old Job, huh? If you ever feel like you're having a bad day, just whip open that book, read the first three chapters, and just be like, it definitely could be worse. <clears throat> In simple, the story, he's... Uh, this is really the important part of the story. And I think the lesson of when God is laying the mosaic of our life and he's putting little chunks and broken pieces in places to show the world what it looks like, the image and the color of a person who follows, follows him. Uh, there's, I think it also shows that we need to make sure that not only do we not blame the wrong person for our difficulty but we also don't shame them in the process either. And I'm talking about our relationship with God. There's always a bigger story behind it. We have this saying in leadership in the office. Uh, I say to the staff all the time, I said, I will always know 10% more than you do. And if you knew that 10% that I know, it would be no problem for you to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. But because I will not breach the confidence of that 10%, you're just going to have to trust me. But I think God does the same thing. God in heaven looks down on us sometimes, and there's 10% that Job didn't have. And it came in the form of chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And the Bible reads like this in Job's story. Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge of a wall of protection around him? And his house and all that he has on every side, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. You know what Satan was saying? Job just uses you. See, God is a relationship. He's not somebody that we use. And the devil was saying in, in heaven to God's face, Job only serves you because you do good things, because you service him. But if you take away those reasons, he'll, he'll, he'll despise you, he'll hate you. And then later on you read, God says to him, okay, go, but the man do not touch him. Do not touch his life. His life is protected. And so Satan goes and he is a master at creating chaos and doing a symphony of Satanism. And so what does he do in a matter of minutes? In a matter of minutes. Three servants run up. One of them says, hey, all your camels, you know that dealership, that camel car dealership you had, that multi-million dollar camel car dealership, they're all gone. Marauders came and took them. And then there was some other thing off the top of my head. It slips me here. Forgive me, I'm a pastor, but I don't have everything memorized. But then another, mo so something else is totally destroyed. And then finally, somebody walks in and says, all of your kids are dead. A wind came in. They were all meeting in one place. The roof was blown in they're all gone in this moment i mean there wasn't a more satanic symphony uh, and concert coming together in perfect harmony and job drops to the ground and i don't know what would have come out of my mouth in that moment but i know what came out of job's it says in chapter 1 verses 20 and 22 job arose and tore his robe shaved his head fell on the ground and worshiped Here's his words, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 22 reads so profoundly. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. 
Oh my goodness. You know what? So many people, so many Christians put the blame in the wrong place when difficulty happens. Why'd you let this happen to me? I thought you loved me. And we have this wrong idea where we say God works everything together for good as if he is the author of all the bad that's happening. No, we, we have a world that is filled with wickedness. God doesn't create evil. He tempts no one with evil. He, he is not orchestrating wickedness against you. He sees the evil of the world around us, knows what's going to happen, but he leverages it for good. God works all things together for good. And so Job passes this test, but then all of a sudden, Satan ups the ante. And he says, you know what? Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. So Job, Satan was bragging to God, saying basically like, I will show you that that guy just uses you to feel good. How many of you, well, I always say how many of you, I got to get out of that habit. But like, I'll tell you what. Over and over again, I, through the years that I've been in church, I've watched so many people use God. As soon as a crisis hits, they go back to church. As soon as, and, and rightly so, but, but as soon as things get going good, they, they peace out. As soon as things are going good, they're like, yeah, awesome. And as soon as things start do, going good, they just peace out from God. And then all of a sudden it goes bad. And what do they do? Well, let's go back to church. Listen, when that song that we were singing, I will build my life, a firm foundation, when you build something, you participate in a process that causes sweat and work. Jesus is not a drug that we take to relieve the pain. He is a master builder, and it is a life and a lifestyle. And if I could tell you something, Jesus wants to be a part of every day of your week, not just Sunday. And every week of your month, and every month of your year, and every year of your life. I don't think Job could have said what he said and did what he did had he not had a firm foundation and relationship with God. He didn't look just at that tiny piece of his momentary suffering. He backed up and said, you know what? When I look at my whole life, it's wonderful that God has given me good things, but it's not about what God gives me or takes away because if I think about it, I didn't come into this world with anything, so why should I leave it with anything? And anything good I've had has been because of you. And he just totally slapped the devil in the face by his conduct. And we sometimes go through our difficult situation and we try to work it out. And we're like, why is this happening to me? God, what are you trying to, what, why are you doing this to me? Why are you punishing me? Or, or what, oh, did I not do this and now you're doing that? And all those kind of things. And sometimes we forget, Job shows us that sometimes despair and difficulty going on in our life actually has absolutely nothing to do with you and has everything to do with God's reputation and Satan walks in and says that person just uses you but if you let me totally disturb their life and ruin their possessions and those things that you give to them they'll curse you to your face but you know what I believe this room is filled with people here this morning that if God were to strike the things in our life that we've been enjoying that we would be that that Satan would be put to shame because we don't serve God because of what he does for us we serve him because of who he is and he's worthy of our worship not just in the good times but in the difficult times. And Satan touches the man's body. And what does Job say? He says this. He, he says, and it's not up there, so I better say it to you. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Do you know what? It takes a very unique person when they're going through difficulty, to, to not focus on the peace of the moment of the pain, but to be able to pull back and say, this is bigger than this. In fact, some of us, the biggest problems we create are when we talk and react to situations that strike us. It's, the Bible says that it's wisdom. Everyone's considered wise when we hold our tongue in difficulty. Um, and in this room, we've got people, you, you've been, we've got all kinds of stories in this room of loss and difficulty. And I believe that God's up in heaven looking on you and smiling and saying, told you they weren't worshiping me for the good I did for them. Told you that they would serve me no matter what. Told you that, that my life is worth more to them than their life. 
In this room, we have people that have lost children, people who have gone through cancer, people who have been through devastating divorces and infidelity and all kinds of things, and yet you're still walking with Jesus. And that's because you have learned the lesson that life is a mosaic, it's a crescendo of color, and God is building in your life an image that people can walk on and see what it looks like to have somebody who trusts God completely. Don't give up on him. Don't lose sight in the difficult hour. Not only Job, but I love David in particular in this. King David, we know the story of him when he was a kid. I was saying this in first service, but it's like when I think of King David and the Battle of Goliath, my mind always goes back to Veggie Tales. Who will fight me? I will fight you, Goliath. And some of you, the younger ones, are saying, who in the world is Veggie? You know, what's a Veggie Tales or whatever? Don't, don't worry about it. But um, there's these cartoons they did years ago. But here's David. He's a young guy. He goes down, and we know the story, right? David versus Goliath. And he gets out there, and he kills the giant with his stone. And then he doesn't even have a sword, but he takes the sword and cuts off the head of Goliath. And then, then the army, everybody just goes nuts. The battle turns. And that's a place I love going to in Israel and just sitting back and looking over the life of David and also reflecting over my life. There's some difficult hours that we have because you see, although David's story starts with, with Samuel anointing him and telling him he's going to be king, and, he, and although it continues to have a great victorious moment where he defeats a giant, he then goes into a season of about 20 years of being on the run and suffering. And I hate to say this, but it's really true, is, is that the greatest songs and music that David made in his life were not when he was sitting on the throne in the palace, but when he was sitting on a rock in the wilderness. And you may think in your difficult situation it's a waste and it's worthless, and yet God is drafting up some of the most beautiful melodies out of those situations. Not that he authored it. Not that he rose up the King Saul's in your life to torment you. No. But God works these things together for good for people that understand that God is building in our life an image of what it looks like to be somebody who consistently walks before him. A crescendo of color. A mosaic of the master. And it's a lifetime achievement word. And it's not put together in a moment. And if we get lost and we focus on the peace of our pain, we lose the potential of our Pablo Picasso masterpiece. Just had to throw that in for Kevin Destin. My mind goes back to some very awesome giant killing moments, followed by some very difficult years when I was working in Providence, Rhode Island at Inner City Ministries. We our goal was to give an adequate witness of Jesus to the 50,000 people under the age of 18 in the city of Rhode Island. Worked very close with Teen Challenge, worked very close with churches, and every week and weekend we'd go out through the city. It was kind of hilarious. Like, there, were, there was a police academy right down the road from some of these projects, and they were just nothing. They was just, like, good for nothing. They couldn't get anything done. There was right near Providence College. We'd always hear stories of kids riding their bike through the neighborhood and getting beat. I remember one day I was walking through the neighborhood and we were handing out flyers. We call it Yogi Bear at that time, Yogi Bear Sunday School. And so as we were going through, I see this guy. I mean, he is 300 pounds of muscle. And he's screaming, what you doing here, white boy? And all I could hear is a train. I'm like, I'm going to die. And I just hold up one of the flyers. I'm like, Yogi Bear? And the guy goes, oh, the kids. You're here for the kids? Come on, get over here. Yo, Kiki, get over here. I'm serious. I know a guy named Kiki, too. Kiki. No, I'm not going to sing the song. All right, so he brings Kiki over, and he goes, Kiki's like, keep on, look at the I get introduced to all the drug dealers, and I'm like this great guy because I'm working with the kids. And in the meantime, you know, they're beating up kids going through the neighborhood, and it was just, it, it, that was just an incredible moment. I re- it, I was like, yeah, Jesus is definitely get you places where you just couldn't go. And it was, I mean, we would pick up kids and they'd open the door. There'd be guns and drugs on the table. And they'd be like, go on, we go, to, go to Sunday Rock Sunday School. We don't want you to be like us. And uh, it was just crazy. Crazy stuff would happen. And one time there was one kid who, uh, we, we, had, we had kids that were getting pulled into gangs. We had kids that were just getting in all kinds of trouble. And 
One day a kid took his uncle's gun out of his closet. I mean, he was a kid. He didn't even... And he turned and he pointed it out in the open foyer at his little cousin. And everybody that was there said, don't. And he did. And then when he realized what he had done, he turned the gun on himself and he shot himself. And the tragedy of this is, is that the cousin that he shot survived and was okay. But his life was over. And that was just one of several stories that all of a sudden in the midst of this situation, after giant killing moments, I just couldn't take it. And I hopped in my car and I just drove. And I got out of my car and I ran halfway up Mount Washington. That's more like about 100 yards, collapse of exhaustion, little Debbie Cakes. And I just began to weep uncontrollably. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I didn't grow up around that. I can't do that. And God spoke to me and said, Paul, if you never do a single thing for me in ministry again, I promise I will not bless your life any less. It's like God gave me the out. And for me, that's all you need to give me, and I'm reinvigorated, and I'm like, bet, I'm going back. But that was a difficult hour. It's tough when you've got people, even that are doing wrong to you. I mean, look at King David. King Saul takes him in and then starts to try to kill him and is throwing spears at him, throwing spears at him, trying to kill David. And the Bible says that David's heart, and it gives us a really great example, he says, that David's heart, he said that uh, he, he took the spear that was at Saul's head and the water that was there and he went away. He could have killed him. In fact, his friend Abishai was like saying, just kill him, David. This is what God promised. He'd, he, your enemies would be under your feet. Just totally kill him. And everybody has a couple of friends like that, right? Like, this is it. Let's just whack him, you know, just get a gun. Boom, boom, problem's gone, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and Abishai's like, do it. This is God. And David's like, I will not touch God's anointing. He was so not God's anointed at that point, behaving like it, but he did it. And in fact, David whistles, gets Saul's attention and says, I was right there. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And the Bible says that Saul wept and said, David, you're, you're a better man than me and went his way. But that was a dark suffering hour in his life. I'll never forget when I pulled up at Home Depot, I had this guy that was behind me and he thought that I cut him off. I had the right of way, and I wasn't trying to cut him off at all, but he just flipped out. He pulled up with his muscle machine uh, uh, pickup truck, and, you know, he gets out, and he was a pretty big guy, and he walks up to my window, and he starts saying all kinds of things, you know, um, which I won't repeat in church, but it, he was just off the hook. And I remember that proverb that says, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? When somebody goes up, you trim it down. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. You better be. You know, and he just talked his nonsense and walked away. I had this moment for a second. I got to be careful because I got a police officer in the room right now. But I had this moment. I'm just saying, just saying. I had this moment where as he walked in, I said, you know, if I just put a rag in his gas tank and light that thing and just drive away, boom. Like, I won't be cutting you off with that car anymore. How many of you ever have a fleeting moment of thoughts like this? You're like, and then you're like, Lord, help me. I forgive them, Jesus, right? I'll never forget one of the pastors at Times Square Church, Bob Phillips. He's with, with the Lord now, but him and his wife were having an argument, and they were going back and forth, and you know, this is a guy in ministry, and all of a sudden, he just had that moment, and he just turned to the wall, and he punched the wall, and I mean, his fist went through the wall into the other room, and as soon as his fist was in the other side of the room, God spoke to him and said, do you see what you are without me? And I always remind myself, when I'm going through a despairing hour in my life not to get lost into the tiny piece of pettiness of what people are doing to me and how to set the record straight because we know what we can be without God and, and, and it's a disaster and the thing that I love about David that he also shows us I think he shows us a couple of things is, is leave leave room for God to take care of the situation but then also you know what you need to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord there's a moment where the people are discouraged, they're, they're ripped off, they're robbed by Philistines, and they say, let's pick up stones and kill David. And 1 Samuel 36, verse 6 says this, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You've got to understand that not to get lost in that 
point of pain, but to remind yourself that nobody is going, nobody has the job of being the person that's supposed to alleviate your pain and, and take things away and cause your, your pain to go away. And this is the problem with drugs because most of it is self-medication to relieve the pain because we don't like the emotional pain or the physical pain that's going on in our life, but nobody has that job. You sometimes have to be the person to be like, you know what? forget it. God's got a brighter day and a better tomorrow. And he, David encouraged himself in the Lord and pulled himself up from that moment. And there are going to be moments in your life that you will get lost in despair if you do not learn the lesson that nobody has the responsibility to turn your attitude and your heart around. You have that responsibility and you need to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's David. And what's amazing is, is that if you look at David's life, Every place where you stand in this one place that we usually go to, you stand in this place, there's literally miles between every moment of his life. When he started in Bethlehem, when he went down to fight Goliath, when he was hiding in a cave, when he was running in the wilderness, when he was crowned in the city of Hebron and then seven years later finally became king of all Israel, there were, there were only about 57 miles, but there were also 57 years of difficulty between that situation. And some of you, God has spoken or you have spoken to yourself some things that you really would like God to do in your life, in your family, in your hopes, in your dreams. And I'll tell you what, along the way, when sometimes the way in in order to make a mosaic, you have to break up rock. And sometimes situations happen and, and you could just be a matter of moments away from, a, from what you want. But God sometimes realizes that there's years between what he can do because it's just the way that life works. And it's okay. Because a mosaic is all about what God can do in a life that sticks with him through difficult hours. Doesn't blame him for it, but trusts him in the midst of it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to close with one last story. One last person, Joseph. There's a man I had the privilege of meeting. His name's Eli Shukron. He's like the, nobody puts a shovel in Jerusalem without going through him. And he took us inside this cistern. It's a, it's a cave, basically, that they hollow out and put plaster on so that when it rains, they catch all the water and you got yourself a water tower except it's underground and this is the story of Joseph here God gives this kid vision and dream and says I'm going to do this with your life and I'm going to change you and I'm going to and, and the very brothers that God said would bow down to him betray him you want to talk about betrayal your own brothers sell you into slavery into slavery like they're supposed to be family. I don't understand why some family members are responsible for some of the most hideous evil in people's lives. But man, this most people wouldn't have recovered from what Joseph went through. And then imagine, you know, so many people often, we worry just way too much about our reputation. Imagine being Joseph and someone not just accusing you of rape, but falsely accusing you. life's ruse, they throw him in prison. And he's in the middle of a pit. Somebody who's never done anything wrong. And it's in that moment he could have said, you know what? It's over. The Bible says this about Joseph, and when I look at my life and all of my difficulties, I'm like, God, if anyone, give me the spirit of Joseph. No matter where he was, no matter what happened, the Bible says, whatever he put his hands to, flourished. I can't determine where my life resides, but I want to make sure that wherever I am, that I'm not blaming the wrong person, and I'm not shaming the wrong person for my difficulty, and I'm not taking vengeance into my own hands, but I'm trusting a God who knows how to make a mosaic masterpiece of my life, a colorful crescendo that shows the world what it looks like when somebody doesn't give up on a God who loves them, but uses every single broken piece in my life and in your life. And rather than saying, oh, what a shame. It's so, they'll never be different. Oh, it's so sad. No, God doesn't stop there. He says, give me that piece that fits there. Perfect. Give me that piece that works there. But you don't understand. I, I was abused and I was, yep. 
Those people will answer to God one day for it, but until then, God will take that piece and say, wait until you see what this looks like when I'm done. You don't understand, I've seen the face of war. You're right, we don't. But watch how God uses it. You don't understand, I, I lost everything. Yep, but you did. You still have him. And at the end of your life, your legacy will be not what it looks like when somebody does Jesus like a drug and runs to him to alleviate the pain. But when you say, I'm not going anywhere. And if the pieces break in ways that I am not in approved love, God, I just want you to know this. You give and you take away. I bless your name. I worship you. I trust you. My peace is not because of what you do or don't do for me. I'm not using you. I want to be used by you. But I'm not using you, God. I wonder if in this room this morning you could stand with me and as we conclude singing this song one more time that we would make this our prayer. That we would learn not to lose sight of the master and the masterpiece he's making when the wind and waves rise, when the boat tosses and turns. But we would allow God to continue to speak into our spirit. Peace be still. I'm with you. I'm working on you. I'm not wasting a single thing. And a lot of people talk about 2020 vision being the ultimate. It's not. 2020 vision is blurry because it focuses only on what it can see. The kind of vision you need and I need in my life is Genesis 50-20, where Joseph looked at all the suffering that was caused by his brothers and could have totally ruined their life in the snap of a finger. And he said this, in Genesis 50-20, what you intended for evil, God intended and used for good. God used for good. As we sing this song, I wonder if you'd make it your prayer to say, God, take my eyes off of the small, broken pieces of pain of the moment. I'm not going anywhere. Make a crescendo of color and show the world what it's like for a person that walks with you. Amen? Let's sing.
Father, Lord, I just pray that you would let the word be reality for us, that we would be still and know that you are God. And that, Lord, that every blow that strikes and shatters what was beautiful to us, Lord, you're going to use that as a mosaic of masterpiece in our life to make a colorful crescendo to show the world what it looks like when people don't treat Jesus like a drug, but they treat him like the best thing that we don't go anywhere, but we abide with you. And that, Lord, that you are building a firm foundation for the world to walk on, to see as a testimony that God works all things together for good for those that love him. And so we give you permission to do it any way you need to. In Christ's name, and everyone said, we love you. We thank you for being with us. If God did something in your life, we encourage you to fill out one of those info cards and drop it off at the visitor center. We'd love to pray with you and be there for you more. But um, go in the grace of God. Don't get lost in a small moment. Let God broaden it out. He's at work in your life. Amen. See you next week. God bless you.